so being a solo session usually we just kind of bounce back and forth i'm also using a different mic um instead of using the omni mic yeah instead of using the omni mic i you haven't started meowing until i started the recording he knows he knows you want to be hi. you want to be over here i said come say hi i, I didn't run into my fa hand he thought about attacking you hi baby boy yeah it's okay just a sniff <laughs> you're in the bad mood nobody pay attention to you do you want a hat <laughs> he doesn't want the hat <laughs> it's not fashionable he has enough fluff to make up for it um, I guess a good question is, um, how does Duncan spend his free time? It sounded like solo work tend to be, like, what he goes for. Um, do you think he's a leisure kind of person, or is his leisure, like, movement? Because of his youth, he picked up a very nomadic style of life. So he tends to look for work on the go. Oddball jobs, the pay, odds and ends. Did you travel with your brother? Yes. Does that ever bother Duncan, considering Luke kind of, on a magical sense, may have seemed like not the golden child, but the focus? Not necessarily, because... Well, in the youth, yes, but yeah. now he's become more of a caretaker for yeah. his little brother. Is Duncan the older one or is Luke the older one? I don't remember. Well, y'all are twins, but I don't know if you ever discussed specifically who was born first. Fuck it, Duncan. It, it makes it does, sense. It does make sense. <laughs> Let's put us... Oh, this might actually be kind of interesting. So, I mentioned that everybody after the dream mystery woke up. I don't remember anything. And then everybody got memories back in different ways. Let's do your favorite type of... Oh, actually, let's make this a weird roll. Um, let's do a weird roll overall. Because I want to see exactly how many things from this you remember over the course of also the next two weeks considering um the the time that passed was about two and a half it's not minecraft dirt it's, it's not minecraft dirt maybe maybe eventually it'll be minecraft dirt maybe i would need a topper that's gonna be a 13 okay is that uh two sixes no oh, it's a six and a four okay a six and a four plus three i'm gonna say that um, there are acceptable breaks within your psyche. It's kind of like when you experience a nightmare. When you're in the nightmare, you believe it's real. When you're out of the nightmare, you have the chance to have that separation and realize, oh, okay, I, that wasn't that wasn't actually reality. And you're probably cognizant of the fact that that doesn't matter too much. But I'll say what it lets you do is it lets you have a little bit of emotional distance from what you saw while still being able to remember, in fact, that you saw everything. 
Um, keep in mind, this also means that uh, you you saw everything dump himself. Um, there are still bits and pieces within that dream that happened that uh, only certain characters were privy to. Small things, but you also remember names. Uh, specifically, uh, you remember there was uh, Gloria. You remember there was, in fact, like Maher's old bandmates, I think. Um, what did we call them? I want to call them, I don't want to call them what my brain keeps thinking of, which is the Platinum Angels. Oh, I'll go back and try to remember what it is. But, um, all the names that matter, and all the people that you remember seeing. And we'll put this, first of all, um, Duncan has to go to bed at some point, because all of this happened during the daytime. Um, and I'll have him go to sleep, and I'll have him, uh, have a, have a regular sleep. What this is going to mean, though, is even though it is downtime, um, I don't want to say blood bags are enough while you're with Jermaine, for the most part. I'll let you make that call. Um, we'll say it's been about a full, a full day. Not quite time to talk to Melody. And in this case, day would be evening. Um, and this is before, I believe, uh, you shatter those mental protections around Duncan. Doesn't mean you can't still explore dreamscape. Um, just means that, you know, there's, there's less you can get access to. It also means things are more stable. It, it's odd, because the dreamscape is a difficult thing to explain. Especially when um, those protections come off, it, it becomes harder to explain why things certain, certain things happen when they do. So, to say that you've always been protected up until this point actually kind of isn't true. Um, time is tricky. Uh, there's a reason that I give Duncan more magical related anomalies and it's because Duncan himself kind of is an anomaly in a meta sort of way. Um, I don't think he's aware of that. I think we're aware of that, but I don't think he is. So, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna have you, as Duncan, roll a plus sharp, and I'm gonna hold on to whatever your answer is. And I'm gonna say you're in the manor, uh, and it's nighttime. You just woke up. That's a 12. Okay. You're pretty sure you're awake. Your senses tell you that you are conscious. But there's, um, maybe it's something to do with the smell. Maybe it's something to do with the fact that despite the, the manor constantly having magic within it, um, you don't see a lot of magic at the moment. Mm, I don't know if magic calms down at night, but 
something primal within your your skin and your your hide and kind of a little bit in your teeth and your bones it feels like something's not right like you could look at your hands and your hands would look normal but they wouldn't feel normal it's kind of like your brain is being given the information from your senses that you're seeing the correct things you're hearing the correct things you're in the correct place but there is an extra sense that is it's not entirely convinced some people call this liminality this feels a little bit more uh, uh, I don't want to say hostile but it definitely isn't familiar and it definitely isn't either you kind of feel a little bit like you're like physically disassociating oh yeah that sounds horrible yeah pins and needles on the on the subconscious but uh the manor is quiet it's very quiet especially monster hospital would you like to go anywhere in particular i assume you're leaving your room i mean there's no point in being cooped up Especially if I can just go and find something to do, someone to talk to. Okay. Especially considering that something doesn't feel right. There's oh. probably some answers that are somewhere. It's a good instinct. So, if you walk down the hallway, I love calling it Monster Hospital because it's an informal name. And then the more I say it, the more it just becomes like the title the more you walk down this wing um there's certain things that you might notice all of the rooms appear to be empty um not that they're cleared out but that the people that were there aren't right now um there are ivs that kind of float in the air where they would normally be connected to people um and there are machines but the machines don't go off they're just simply connected to the air and the space of uh where they would usually like where they would usually hold on to fingertips or be in arms potentially like any sort of ekgs um Eric's machinery, you can definitely tell, if not from all the other rooms, that it's connected to what looks like nothing, despite the fact that if that was the case, it would be on the bed. Um, so you keep moving down the wing, and more evidence of not people being gone, but people not being there. Um, if I remember correctly, Maher spent some time sleeping within uh, Monster Hospital, just a small amount. But for the sake of this, we'll say that, you know, maybe he decided to spend the night in one of the cots. He, he, he can sleep anywhere. Um, you can tell where it was even if you hadn't seen where he was because there's a, a dip in the bed 
and the light to one of the computers uh, past the nurse's station is on. Um, it's not moving. Nothing's changed or anything like that. But uh, the chair itself appears to be pushed back just enough to accommodate someone sitting in front of it. Uh, yet again, there are no people. Um, what are Duncan? What were Duncan's priorities before he went to sleep? Uh, I know one thing that he's been neglecting because I've been forgetting, and that's writing on the doing cell papers for the cell papers spell papers oh okay all right so one of the things that you had been thinking about was preparing uh more like magical resources yes that makes sense can i ask um is it just a preparation in general yeah okay so i didn't have a specific like target or goal um, is, is there anything that Duncan is curious about? I imagine there's a lot. I think he'd be one of the people that would just learn to learn. Learn to learn. And not even in the sense of Luke, who specifically goes after dangerous knowledge. He would just, like, learn to better himself. Better his fighting style, better his spellcasting. Okay. Because... The dreamscape operates on two levels. One of them is it operates on a series of laws that don't quite make sense inside of the narrative um, because they are meant to further a larger purpose. The second one is it does lend itself some, I don't want to say credence, but um, the, the thoughts and feelings of whoever is experiencing that in, in, the, in that moment tend to influence that. It's almost like computers can't actually generate random numbers, um, not in the way that people think they can. What they can do is they can create a seed and use that seed to create a set of random numbers. But if you were to introduce that seed and not change it, the computer would always generate specifically that set of random numbers. Kind of like um, Minecraft seeds, actually. It's how you can have that giant number and still randomly generate exactly the same world block for block. So you, the dreamscape itself is random, but it also needs something to base itself off of. So Duncan himself is kind of interesting. Because if, if I were to open up the dreamscape, I were to put Luke into it, there's... A good couple directions I could point him in, and they would be very strong directions. Um, same thing goes with Maher. Uh, he's he's very single-minded. He's got a couple focuses, um, a couple goals, and that's about it. Uh, I would even say the only one that's like closer to a wild card is Alex, but Alex himself has one major like motivation, and that's to find out what he is and ask the big question of why. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give Duncan something that looks random because it has almost nothing to do with him. There is a sound outside of the manor. It sounds like... So the, the manor's surrounded by wilderness. It's in deep 
you know, kind of like southern Pennsylvania wooded Appalachia area. And that's by design for protection and for ambience. So when this sound has kind of an odd echo, um, it, it doesn't mimic the same kind of echo that you hear in the forest. It, it doesn't, it isn't dampened. It sounds a little odd. Let's do one more roll plus sharp. Thirteen. It's pretty good. Um, you know that the direction that the sound is coming from leads outside. So, you hear this sound that has the cadence of someone speaking inside of, a, of an echoing room. In fact, um, coming from where you are in Monster Hospital, it sounds like it's coming from the front doors. That's, that hurts Duncan's brain, but he's going to go see what it is. Okay. Um, so, uh, you said you're coming up to the doors. Um, if you look out the windows, it looks like the woods. You can see the front wraparound porch. Well, it's not really wraparound, but you can see the front porch. You can see Joanne's car, uh, the, the van that one of them came in. Um, I, I would say you can see, uh, Willard's car. Duncan's car is nowhere in sight. let Duncan's car be there. I was about to say, it's technically not there. because it It's was, technically not there, yeah, that's right. It would be wherever they went into the portal last, because they got yoided away from the yeah. junkyard thing. Yeah. So he has to go get that eventually. He will, you will have to go get your car. And nonetheless, the sound has momentarily stopped, um, not in reaction to anything, but is in um, a natural, like, pause to a conversation. Though... A long pause, as if someone isn't sure what to say. Or, like, they're waiting for something. You go up to the door? Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to make you roll the plus cool yet, but the floors to the manor do creak. It is an old house. Are we being careful? You are a creature of the night. I'm not too worried about your ability to stalk around. I don't think he cares about stalking around at the moment. Okay. Alright, so, um, roll me the plus cool now, and leave your dice overturned. Like, leave the cup over it when you hit it to the table. You head up to those double doors, and you can see that the door itself, uh, one, of, one of the double doors, it's, it's on both of them, it's open a crack. Um, which, things get a little bit weirder, because there's light coming into the manor. From out the front door. Light that looks artificial. It flickers a little bit, you think. It, it kind of looks almost hospital-like. It's got kind of a... If you go towards it and go close to it, there's that buzzing sound. Do you look in or do you move the door at all? He's going to open the door. Okay, alright. Before you open the door, I'm going to let you know that you do see somebody. They're not facing towards you, but 
It is a large open hall. There don't appear to be many places to hide behind. And the man that you see, and I'm saying before you, you know, open the door fully, because I don't know how far open you open the door. Um, I'm, I'm not Cody. I'm not going to hand over death flags. It's most definitely the coat and the hair and the stance of Scott Callahan. He's facing away from you towards, it looks like a, a museum hall without any exhibits. It's even got like the security TVs that would show up to keep an eye on patrons. It's got a lot of them actually. Um, they, the, there's big ones that line some of the wall that Scott Callahan is on. Um, but you also notice that differing sizes show up in between where art paintings would usually be, um, potentially on stands with what sculptures would have been there. And they poke out and they, they surround the, the walls that are both in front of, around, and in back of Scott Callahan. To the point where you're pretty sure some of them might be embedded within the walls that the doors are in. Though they don't appear to be on the doors themselves. Um, how far do you go into this room? Or are we just kind of taking a look in? He's going to take it in for a second and then probably just a step in. Just a step in. Okay. All right. Um, over turn your cup. You got two sixes. How about that? My dice just... I don't know. One-on-one -on -one sessions, apparently my dice are like, yeah, let's do this. <laughs> um, before you can make your way all of the way in... Um, it, you stop your foot just at the edge of uh, where the first tile would start. Um, and uh, I'll say it's both the placement of your foot um, being in a lucky spot and there is a breath that you breathe out that is um, much, much different from the other ones uh, as you let out a small winter-like uh, cloud uh, as if the air right around your face has become colder and it is that um that visible mist that lets you see a small little laser like line that goes about an inch in front of your face just enough to stop you mm, that's you know you look down there's potentially shining against the tile a mirror image of a couple more of those that sit in a wall parallel with that line oh boy and um, Scott Callahan himself um, shuffles a little bit. He kicks his feet. He doesn't notice you. Scott Callahan hasn't seen you. And uh, he kind of, uh, he puts his arms out. He's still facing away from you. Um, almost head tilted, kind of looking towards the larger TVs. Um, puts his hands out, kind of an open gesture. 
and uh, you can hear him call out uh, in more of a an authoritative kind of voice, as much as he can muster, considering how large this room is and how empty it is compared to, you know, his how how one of a person he is. Um, you you hear him call out and just just go, uh, so so I'm here. Is anybody gonna? Like a little bit of silence. He says, uh, you know, I didn't come out here for nothing. I know, uh, I usually get paid to do a bunch of nothing, but I, uh, I get a little tired of it, you know? Uh, I, I, I work my ass off to keep you guys happy. Uh, and you just act like, uh, there's something that interrupts him. One of the TVs in front of him turns on. Um, it's got... Uh, a, a static. The static is slightly... It comes in gray, you know? It comes in black and white, and then it, it slowly tilts to have more of a, a reddish hue. Um, and as that tilt comes in, that tint comes in, uh, there's a dark silhouette within the, sn uh, the snow. It's... Mm, really just a darker version of the snow itself until it solidifies uh, into a formless face um, as if casted completely in shadow uh, and you hear a, a voice that's not entirely um, unfamiliar and it goes uh, it, it speaks without moving at all says, Mr. Callahan, you're coming in early. Uh, I assume that means you found what you needed. And Scott says, uh, yeah, no, I'm coming in early because I didn't. Um, no one was there. Uh, she wasn't there. Uh, in fact, um, everything was empty, uh, cleaned out. There's a silence. One of the TVs actually down by his feet on the right side, where this other one was center top. Um, it, it flicks on. It's got that same static. This one's tilted a little bit, tinted blue. Um, same as before. The voice is different, but it's got a creeping kind of familiarity to it. Though you, you're pretty sure you've never heard these voices before. They don't feel foreign. They feel like something you should be able to, like they've been there before. It's an uncomfortable sensation. That uh, that second voice comes in, uh, despite the fact that the TV in front is still on, and it comes in from that TV. And you hear it say, "So you've failed." Uh, and Scott takes a little bit of a um, kind of a jump, kind of also like a, an obvious offense. And he says, uh, "You could say I failed." Um, or you got bad intel. Um, either way, uh, Yale's cleaned out. The machines are busted. Uh, your renegade scientist was probably halfway across the country. Um, and I, I don't think there's, uh, anything we can really do about this situation. Uh, much less anything that we need to do, considering this is not our problem. Um, 
and uh, yeah, I think I, uh, I think that's everything that I have to report. Unless you feel like you need to send me out on another one of those fun little uh, spy missions to satisfy your paranoia, I think I'm just gonna pack up and I'm gonna head out of here. And he kind of just uh, pats his pockets, and there's silence. There's silence again. And there's one more. And you can kind of like see the tension between Scott's shoulder blades. And he kind of just squares himself up. And he, he talks again. And his voice gets bolder. It repels across the halls. And he says, um, you know what? I think I'm also getting tired of constantly having to run around dealing with your problems. And going with all of these crazy ideas, um having to look after your ward a ward who could probably take care of themselves definitely doesn't need me almost killing myself just trying to keep an eye on them like I, I know you're worried uh, as much worried as you can be considering but if you got such a problem with how I run my department then how about we, we do something like this and then he it's as though he was gonna continue his sentence, but he can't find the words. And if you listen in, you concentrate really hard, the same kind of concentrating with your ears that you did with your eyes when you saw those lasers. You can hear a throaty kind of choking noise, um, but he doesn't move. And that TV uh, that was on before, there's a voice that comes into it as that blue one just kind of waits. It says, uh, you have forgotten yourself, director. And each time that a sentence is stopped, another TV comes on. The previous TVs don't shut off. That blue TV from before speaks. And at the same time that it speaks, the one on red one speaks in tandem. Says, um... We are not paranoid. Another TV turns on. We are not worried about what we are in control of. And if you can't understand that, then maybe the problem is not with her. Maybe the problem is with you. And all of these voices begin to come in at the same time, and they start to echo against each other as well, kind of creating this feedback-like noise. And you can see Scott kind of put his, put his hands up to his ears as he tries to just hunch over and, and get, the, get the sound away from him, but his feet are rooted to the floor. And he does not walk or back away. Um, and these voices, they come in, they say, you've been getting bold. You're also stupid. You've been getting anxious, but you're also placid. We want what is best for the world. And you want what is best for yourself. And it's become increasingly obvious how incompetent you are. So if we're going to continue this business relationship we're going to need to see a little bit more effort 
and a little bit more understanding. Mr. Callahan? And there's a uh, silence again. That feedback absorbs into itself. All the TVs are on, but you can't even hear the static or the humming of the electronics that those TVs are hooked up to. And every TV in this room is on. Every single one of them, a different hue, but the same silhouette. And they all look in. Scott takes his hands off of his ears and just kind of breathes out. And the voice in the red TV, right up the front, you, you can hear that slight ringing again, that, that tinnitus. Um, but it's only from that one. And you hear it say, Neil. And there's an almost immediate scoff from Scott. And you can see he moves one of his feet backwards and he's like, I'm not, I'm, I'm fucking, I'm getting out of here. I'm so tired of this. You know, if, if you guys weren't paying me what you were, um, and there's a, there's a cracking sound coming from Scott and kind of a, a grunt of pain, but nothing touches him. And all of these faces on the TV, they begin to lose shape. They distort, though they all distort in the same way, in the same direction as if mirror images with different tints. Um, and you can hear that feedback come in again, uh, large, louder. It's almost painful on your end and you're not even right in the middle. Um, and Scott, you can see that difficult you can see that struggle within his face and his hands twitch, but he can't move them back up. And instead, you see him lean down, closer to brace himself with one hand flat out uh, until that hand hits the ground and he struggles. And you can see just a little bit of something pool on the floor. It, it looks like it might be a little bit of blood coming from a the leg onto the side, a leg which doesn't quite look like it's in the right position, um, but it goes down and you see his, the leg that has not been affected, uh, its knee gently touches the floor and there's a, a moment of quiet. And that feedback recedes itself again, slowly this time. Scott's breathing is ragged he says nothing. And all of those TVs, except for the one that had come up first, they all shut off at the same time. And it speaks one more time. It, it attempts to sound sympathetic. It says, I understand that your motivations are natural. It is only normal to want what you want and be as selfish as you are. But if you try to assume our motivations, then you probably won't be working here for much longer. Remember that we, we care about every single person on this planet, including you. But if we have to get rid of one to take care of the rest, well, adults have to make the decisions for their children. And the TV shuts off. 
uh, and Scott is left in the middle of the room. Um, and uh, Duncan, in front of your eyes, uh, as you blink, there is a uh, almost like a, a film type of transition where every time you blink, it gets darker. And then every time you move your eyes around, that same thing comes in until it's sort of like a, a flashing fade. Um, and then your vision adjusts and you're looking outside onto the gravel and the porch and the cars of the front of the manor um, until it is completely dark and it is though nothing was there to begin with. Pretty, pretty. <laughs> Duncan doesn't know how to feel about that. Duncan doesn't know how to feel about that. He doesn't even know who they were talking to. Yeah. Um, you are free to go back to sleep. Um, I'll say that sharp roll that you had rolled, um, way back towards the beginning has given you enough clarity to note that, although extremely realistic, this is mostly a dream um coming back you see the your friends the the people that were supposed to be in those blank spaces uh they are still there they have corporealness now they are not invisible as it seemed um but they they are all i see i i think his first thing is i need to write this down you need to write this down write that down write that down Okay. All right. Um. So, this is gonna be, I think, a cool roll. And this will be for accuracy. I'm not good at those. I'm not good at those. Oh, mark an experience. <laughs> I'll tell you this. You write it down. You wake up in the morning. It's written down with perfect accuracy. You get every piece of information that you needed. Mm -hmm. And there's another line, a couple lines down. It says, it's, it's almost hard to read out. It's kind of um, messy, but it also looks as though whatever, whatever writing instrument was being used was using loose ink. Um, and it says... Uh, I saw that. Mm. Well, I definitely have eyes on me now. Wee. I've made a mistake. Ooh. 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 Yeah. He doesn't want to tell anyone about this yet. No, not yet. Not yet. We're going to hold on to this for a little bit. Um... Not even Joanne. Not even Joanne. So yeah, that's... The dreamscape is dangerous. Mm -hmm. But this is... A little bit different. Because... The dreamscape and exploring the dreamscape is one thing. But it's real hidden... Danger. Is not in fact the dreamscape itself. 
it is other people. Um, so, uh, it's the day after. One of the things on his to-do list is get the car. Get the car. That's fair. He will eventually bum a ride off Joanne to go get the car. Gotta go get the car. Before it gets towed. Ah, oh, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. Alright, then I'll say, um, I'll say that that trip, it, it is, it's mundane for the most part. Alicia's car trick is really cool, and it, it can be replicated a little bit, but Joanne's always been more conservative with how she uses her magic. So it's still, it's still a little bit of a trip, a little bit of a ride. Um, you can actually sleep through most of it, if that's what you're comfortable with, because Joanne's got accommodations in her own car. But that's, that trip is enough for her to probably give you the, the information that, in fact, Melody doesn't have a legal last name. Uh, which, yeah, in your own head, you're like, yeah, that, that about tracks with how, uh, how things have been going, considering uh, Alicia mentioned she doesn't technically have a last name. Alex just doesn't have a last name. His last name is last name. Um, but I think then she... would be a good time to bring up that he saw Melody in a dream. Huh. I would say that the, there's a lot that Joanne could say. I think the thing that she probably says first is the equivalency of that tracks. The before seeing her as well. If she had to give out any sort of explanation, I would say, um, most likely. Uh, oh, we'll do, we'll do this. Um, so you, uh, you said you, you tell Joanne that before seeing Melody, you saw her in a dream. Yes. Okay. Um, how soon, how, how soon before did you see Melody? A couple nights, I think. Um, I think it might have actually been the night before. Or the night before. The night before. That's close enough. Um, alright. Uh, taps her fingers against, her driving glove fingers against the steering wheel. Says, um, well, Duncan, you're a, you're an intelligent lad. Why do you think you saw her? Well, she did say something. Now, I don't remember if Duncan heard this. That's my issue. Well, um, you could put it out there as a theory. Um, Either way, he probably was told mm -hmm. eventually. Yeah. Uh, she said that she reached out to people. And after she couldn't she used eric's energy to reach out to people he she amplified his energy hmm did i duncan did i ever tell you about um what eric can do specifically mm, i don't think so duncan uh may have heard a little bit about Eric, but nothing specific. You know Eric has psychic abilities. That's about it. Um, so Joanne keeps her eyes on the road, and she says, Eric is um, a very interesting case. Um, 
there are many psychics in this world, and they there are many that have many different types of abilities. Um, though it can be hard to do, um, looking back into the past is one of those abilities. Um, I've known many different magic users that can see different spaces within the reality of our space and time. Um, but for the most part, the ease of use comes with seeing backwards rather than forwards. Not always the case, um, especially if people have forgotten memories. Um, it, it can be useful to go back and see those memories, um, but things, things get tricky. Eric has the ability to see the future, or he did. It took a lot out of him every time. Sometimes it was involuntary. But if I had to say anything, um, I would say the biggest reason why he stays within the manor, stays within Vinago, outside of personal connections, is Eric has an ability that I've actually never seen any psychic ever have before. He can see futures that don't happen. The Eric in a different time, when he was, I want to say healthier, but he saw a vision of the end of the world. It was the only warning we had that things were getting very bad very fast and someone had to act. And uh, although it it pains me to say, Eric is extremely lucky and extremely valuable. And on the outside, to someone that doesn't care about him deeply, that could be the difference between large-scale disaster and the world being able to live peacefully. Um, so him being taken, although terrible, was a possibility that I had in my mind. Though I had not expected it to look like this. I don't think anyone would have. Mm. Honestly, it's a wonder that he's still alive. It really is. I, I worry about the circumstances with which he was taken. At the time, there had been a, a, an illness, a sickness that had been going around with specific people. And Eric's never been very, um, very good with infections. We, I noticed about couple, a couple months in, there was that fainting spell that people were going through where they would feel dizzy and they'd have narcoleptic-like symptoms and then some of them would just fall over. They'd, they'd faint and they'd recover and then uh, some of them just died. I've always had my theories and I've always kept an eye out on things. The large-scale phenomenon is not something that I have the time nor resources to handle. 
So some things just have to be left in the hands of other people. Those people almost every time have either reported or rumored instances of psychic ability. A lot of them were telepaths. They weren't telepaths I knew, but some were people I knew of. I cannot find many people that don't have some recorded instance. There is a, a handful. Um, they appear like regular people. And this is what worries me. Because that, that spell went through. It ran its course. It ended. All of a sudden. And it wasn't long after. A couple people. People who had never had abilities in their lives or had claimed to never have them came to me and they started asking for help. They had these uh, abilities that they didn't know what to do with. Um, some of them, uh, so some people that encountered me said they had been psychics their whole life and had been in hiding. Um, and they, they needed my help because they believed that they were being, that th this disease, where it wasn't a disease, they believed they were being hunted. And then Eric died. This was a year after that spell. I, I'll admit, I lost my focus. It can be hard, especially with how close I was to Carla and the children. So putting things into light, it helps, but it also gives me quite a bit of regret. But knowing he's back, well, maybe it means that not everyone died. That would be the hope, wouldn't it? Yes. The hope can be rather dangerous. Truthfully, there is only one way to find out, and that would be seeing if they have any more information about other people and where they might have been taken. And who took them? That's a lot of digging. I will admit, I don't have much context, but the, um, the man that owned that illicit laboratory underneath Hawk Lake, uh... I only had brief contact with him, only a few times. Uh, one of those times was when Carla herself had come up to find me, despite only knowing my name, to ask for help, considering she had been at the peak of her werewolf ability, but had not gathered the, uh, the mental fortitude to control it. Um, she had been kidnapped right around when she was moving across the, the west coast uh, by a man who called himself a, a monster hunter. He was more of a, a treasure, a trophy hunter, to be completely honest. Early on, uh, Richard Hawk had been given 
a, a small task um, by what was most likely a larger financial sponsor to kidnap and trap as many supernatural creatures as he could. Uh, he was given a lot of time and resources and legal protections specifically to invent the best levels of cages, tranquilizers, sedatives, and weapons. There's a, a very big litany of information regarding the weaknesses of most supernatural creatures that obviously you can pull it in from uh, older times and medieval textbooks and maybe some church scholars, but if there was anyone who modernized and really revivified the ability to fight and trap and kill the supernatural, it, it was that man, and he used every bit of information he gathered. I only got to have complete contact with him, I think, twice. The second time was when he had died, and the first time was when we had found Carla in a werewolf cage, fortunate enough to recover her before she had uh, been taken anywhere else, as we believe many creatures were. Um, where they went, I still don't know. But when he dropped, when he dropped all activity, I was suspicious. So hearing that he had at some point joined and left the FBI and was doing yet again the same thing, which was using technology to kidnap people and supposedly experiment on them, um, I wasn't surprised. But I feel like despite knowing this man and knowing what he's done and knowing his patterned, his patterns and what they were, I still feel as though there is a lot of information that I am like, there is more to what he wanted to do overall than just to be cruel. And it is unfortunate to say that I really do believe he had what he felt was a legitimate reason to take in and break apart as much as he did. If there's anyone that could figure something like this out, though, says, uh, probably one of the brightest students I've ever been able to witness. Though I would ask that you take care of yourself. You may find yourself in a situation where you are the only person that can gather the information that is in front of you, and despite my best judgments, I would tell you to get it if only because you may not be able to get it again. Once-in-a-lifetime information. I don't want to become like Luke and become hungry for that information, but I understand that if I have an opportunity, I should take it, because I don't know when the next opportunity is going to come. It's just... I think there should be a limit on the information that I go to gather. Oh, most definitely. I think, well, we both know this. I'm the level-headed one. He's far more impulsive than I am. 
brother's very passionate about many things. And sometimes, sometimes I worry for, worry for him. And sometimes it's not even just worrying for him because of magic. Sometimes I just think maybe he needs to sit down for a couple minutes. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> no, he does not. He's very, very hyperactive. If he were able to put that energy into something, he'd probably become the best at it. Probably. That's kind of what scares me with him and magic. Being adept at magic can be a... A bit of a pain in the ass, but uh, I still hold out hope that the people around him can teach him how to ground himself, and I also have hope that Luke's own spirit is uh, not completely uh, without restraint. I believe he has a deep-seated uh, type of intellect that does emerge in situations when he needs it, but his, uh, his emotions can sometimes get the best of him. And, you know, if you're getting constantly plugged in with uh, immense amounts of power and ability, and you don't use it, it builds up. Yes. Um, oh, that girl, um, Melody, uh, she asked about your health. Are, uh, are you doing all right? I mean, a lot better than before, considering I was blasted with... Uh, I don't want to think about that. Yeah. That hurt. Yeah. I never thought light could hurt so much. I can't make the joke of taking years off of your life, because it literally took years off of her life. <laughs> yeah. It's okay, you roll with the punches. Magic just does that. Yeah. She could get it back, though. Yeah, she could eat a bug. She took one of those bugs with you. She took, she took one of those bugs with her. Yeah. She's not going to tell anyone because it's disgusting. But she will have to eat one of those again. <laughs> oh, actually, now that you reminded me about those bugs. Yeah. Duncan sees... Yes. So, um, we've been bouncing all around with yeah. this conversation. We'll say this is um, a series of conversations that happen when you like wake up a little bit or you know you guys have to like park for a second this is a long a long drive even with magical shortcuts that's fair and it's all you know there and back well mostly there because you're in the same car for the trip there keeps her on the phone call while we're driving back <laughs> is this cody calling me out when he gets out of work although it is very funny and kind of endearing um, those bugs that were down there. Yes, yeah. Are there, uh, it seemed like a lot of them? Uh, yes. Oh, hmm. And they glue. Like, you know how I can see magic. Yeah. They, they glowed. Yes, yeah, they are, they are magic. In a radioactive kind of way? Uh, but e yes, yeah. Well, um, so you know how there are multiple theories for um, how magic works? Yes. Not all of them have the entire idea. Magic on some level can sometimes exist 
in a, a biological sense. Um, these bugs are kind of similar to that. They, they eat and they metabolize and they produce magic. And I, I mean they eat something that allows them to generate magic within their body, but they also could just straight up be eating things that are magical in nature, like a terrible life cycle. We ever tell you about the the cannibal wizard? Mm. We didn't tell. I didn't tell you about the cannibal wizard. No. Don't uh, be careful. Uh, uh, drinking any wizard blood if you can. Like maybe do so, but in a controlled environment. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a very large biological component to very pure types of magic. Um, that, while unstable in some regards, can provide a lot of benefit, uh, especially considering how close to the food chain you get to. But you said there were a lot of those bugs? Yes. So, uh, Joanne thinks about it for a little bit. She says, um... I... I wondered about what was going to happen with those. Because it made sense that they would be around when that laboratory was up and active my my previous theory had been that they had been around more often and larger um because of the amount of just waste that that site may have been producing it may have been giving off just enough uh i don't know i guess magical fertilizer for those bugs to sustain themselves off of um it caused a bit of a an invasive species but it's been a couple years now, and nothing's happened in that laboratory. So I wonder, why would there be more than there were the first time? They were all small. They were all small. There was only a, only one that I saw that had multiple segments. Mm. Maybe they're evolving to survive. Possibly. But if they're all underneath there, it doesn't look... It, it didn't look like, from what I could see, it didn't look like they had created any new passageways. Those passageways were man-made. So if they're not burrowing, they're not spreading across the town, and they're not leaving, what are they eating? Duncan, do me a favor. Of course. If you ever run into anything that... Any creatures... If people feed off of people uh, on the occasion, uh, because humanity is fucked up, and that's just what happens. If you run into any creatures that, for no discernible reason, feed off of not just other people, but feed off of emotions or are attracted to magic, or seem to subsist on things that would not provide any biological sustenance, tell me about them. Just let me know, because I feel like there is more to the concepts of magic than our ancestors uh, would have predicted. I believe we may actually have a, a missing part 
of the nature of magic that could be more physical than ethereal. That's definitely an interesting theory. I will definitely have to keep my eye on for that. I actually feel pretty comfortable with uh, what we did. Um, we can still have like talks with Melody. Um, Melody herself has, uh, I think the biggest thing is she has a very strange gap in her memory where she knows she's about 22. Um, her memories uh, of like her life before she was, um, I don't want to say 16, but her, her memories of most of her childhood and teen years are uh, gone for her. Um, and like I mentioned with Eric's ability to look into the past, uh, even attempts at that, despite um, Duncan himself would know this, um, just because of the immense amount of like when Melody does anything that is even slightly related to magic, she has this like boom of energy. Um, and it was even there when she was near death. Um, but now that she is healthier, it ha it is uh, a an almost overwhelming kind of radiance um, that she tries very hard to keep to herself um, because as though it is a mirror uh, of herself back onto you, uh, she could almost always tell when you're getting like overstimulated by the amount of like light she's producing. So she will try her hardest to rein that in, but, um, what was I gonna say? Oh, yeah, like, there is a large portion of her life that she just does not remember, and any form of clairvoyance does not allow her to see what happened, or who she was. Um, she just woke up one day, and she gave herself a name, and kind of just went on her way. Her biggest uh, fear is the fact that the only information she's ever managed to gather is that there are other people like her. She doesn't know these people. She doesn't know if they're still alive. Uh, and she knows that they are being hunted and killed by some powerful thing. And that's really all she's got. But with that, um, give me a, let's say you're in the car. Give me a sharple. Give me one more sharple. I can't wait for Duncan to roll his first charm. I might just keep a luck point because I don't want to make success. You don't want to make success? I don't want to make success. Okay. All right. So, um, if I remember right, a luck point, uh, the cause of it is slightly different than a token because the cause of it is determined by myself. You almost don't see it when you're in the car. Um, but you're driving by hmm, um, an old uh, city that you, uh, you, you don't really care about that much. It's just easier to go this way than avoid the tolls. And it almost doesn't even flash past your mind with how quickly you're moving through it. Um, but you go past that main street and you look off to the left and there's a building there. 
and you recognize the front of it and you see those windows and you notice that it's um it's the second time you've seen it now driving past it because it looks as though it may be some form of not franchise but a uh, an odd sort of connected set of businesses this is an art gallery this is an art gallery you've seen before and in fact you don't think you've seen it before because it was a franchise you think you know exactly where you've seen this art gallery before <laughs> definitely want to investigate that I will let you investigate that soon uh, because right now it is boarded up but what I'm going to do with your luck point is I'm going to t let you know that you know the exact location of it now. Uh, and I'll go ahead and say that it is, uh, oh, this is a fun idea. Because, yeah, it, it would have been so many years. We're, we're eight years in the past. It definitely would be something else now. It would probably be like, I don't know, like a cafe, like a deli. You see this art gallery, and it is just outside of Cincinnati, Ohio. Bing, 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 bing. 